Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. We thank you, Jesus. You are the God of restoration, Lord. There is none like you. You are so good. Truly, you restore everything that has been broken. Truly, you are making all things new. So, Lord, we just we hold before you this morning our lives, situations that seem beyond hope. But we come under your truth. That you're the God of restoration. I pray whatever that looks like in our lives today, that we would hold to that. That we would believe in it. Thank you, Lord, that we are a hopeful people. I thank you, Lord, that even when we mourn, we do not mourn like the world does without hope. But at all times, Lord, we abound in hope. Thank you that we have a living hope because you've been raised to new life, Christ. Thank you that this hope cannot be touched. So, Lord, we speak your supernatural hope. God, where there have been hearts made sick by deferred hope, we ask, God, that you'd make hearts whole this morning. Make minds whole this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Robbie getting the heat back on a little bit? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Get some heat in here. Awesome. Hey, we had, uh, I just want to give a quick uh, praise report. We've had so many amazing testimonies, but this, uh, this week in particular, we shared it at the beginning, um, but on uh, Wednesday, and, and in the prayer room as well, we had a little different prayer room at night with a conference, but in the mornings, uh, we had f- packed houses, uh, which was really awesome, especially Thursday morning. But evangelism on Wednesday was just really awesome to see. Uh, basically, two groups of 12 came out, uh, which was really, really cool. And um, yeah, that's, that means something, right? <laughs> groups of 12. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was just so, so amazing. Um, yeah, I got I to gotta share one real quick. We, uh, I went out with Amanda. And before we go out, we take time to pray and just seek the Lord and say, God, are you speaking anything? And this happens every week. Like we put things on the whiteboard. And then, and, and then it comes to pass. But one in particular, we were, uh, we were praying and um, basically we're talking to this lady and it's just, you can sense like, the, the, like the, the presence of God, the anointing of God is just growing as we're ministering right at her doorstep. And then uh, we ask her, we say, oh, by the way, what's your name? And she goes, oh, my name's Patty. And uh, we had the name Patty this morning written right on the board. And so this just whole door opened up. We said, listen, God had you on his heart. And uh, it was so, so amazing. So this happens every single week. Uh, God is moving like this through little old me and you. So I just encourage you to, uh, to step out. And I know for some that, that day is hard, uh, and that's okay. This is not about one day of the week. So many I know are, uh, are uh, living like this um, every other day. So just keep going for it. Uh, this is really uh, just a special, special time as a body. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to jump in the Word. If you could turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. By the way, I said I would do this. Where's, where's your mom, Willie? She's, in, she's with the kids? Hey, last week, just so you know, too, uh, we've had a few words of knowledge just come forth, and uh, last week was a, a tennis elbow. If, I don't know if you remember that. We said elbow and then pain shooting down to the forearm, and uh, there wasn't too much response, uh, but 
Lauren, uh, Lauren Barker actually for, for a long time has had issues with her elbow, the exact same pain. Caesar prayed for her after service, completely healed. She was actually out raking leaves for the first time in a long time because she couldn't do that. So God is so good. So Lord, <laughs> we make space for more of that. Um, all right. So we've, uh, over the last few weeks, I, I just, I feel so much life on this. Actually, we've got a few different um, voices that are going to come forth over the next few weeks, which will be awesome with Johnny, Caesar, uh, Crystal. And, uh, and they'll kind of, I think, just, I don't know exactly, but I know in some form they're going to continue to speak into where we've been. And, uh, and it's going to be awesome. Um, but we've, we've really been hitting what it means to be, in one way to see it, ministers of the new covenant, which Paul says is the spirit of God. And so we do not minister by the letter, Paul says, that's the old covenant, but we minister by the new covenant, which is actually the spirit. So Jesus' blood was poured out, his body broken for forgiveness of sins, yes, but if you stop there, you actually stop with where it was meant to lead us, which is into the spirit of God. And by the spirit of God, at the heart of that is actually the power of God, spiritual gifts. These are essential to how we minister in the new covenant. And if I could put it this way, the Bible has a goal, and the goal is new covenant. The Bible has a goal, and the goal is new covenant. And central to the new covenant, if you could summarize it, is this, and we're going to see this today, is that you and I now, by the Spirit of God, can hear the voice of God. Central to the new covenant is that every single person in this room, when you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you were created to hear from God. You were created to hear and heed the voice of God. You were created not just to know God in an external form, but you were created to actually have the Spirit of God internalize the Word of God for you. Every single person here, I feel, man, I feel a lot of life on where we're going to go today. All of us were created to hear the voice of God. Every single person here, I may preach myself out of a job today. (laughs) No, we honor giftings, we honor teaching, we honor those things. But I want you to know, in the new covenant, you are not dependent on a man, on a man to hear God for you. What often happens in religious circles and, and what we're going to see, and I believe this actually, and I don't necessarily mean it's intentional, but theological camps that claim God no longer speaks today, but we are restricted now to the letter of the law, and then as a result, only a few have the gift to interpret the scriptures. You are now relying on professionals to hear for God for you. This is not the case. You were created to hear the voice of God. So I feel God wants to break two lies. Number one, and probably many other things. Number one, that you can't hear God that you need someone else to hear God for you. What often I find in my own life is that I'm hearing God, I'm just doubting, trusting that it is God. Now, we can't cover everything today by any means. Maybe some of the other people will. If not, I'll circle back to some of the more practical things um, on how we do this. But I want to lay a foundation today. It will be very important that every single person in this room was made to hear from God, number one, and that God is still speaking. This is very, very important. God is still speaking. Certain camps will say, because we have canonized scripture, this scripture is, is closed. I want, I want to be clear on something. I believe we are not adding to the scriptures. Do you know that? <laughs> Do you know that you can believe God still speaks and you don't believe the scriptures are still being written? Paul himself testifies to these two running together. Paul says to Timothy, wage war with the prophecy spoken over your life. Do we have any idea what that prophecy was? No. That prophecy is not inspired, authoritative word of God. Nevertheless, it was central and important enough for Paul to say, wage war with it. You can have prophecy, God's still speaking, running parallel with the authoritative word of God. God speaks. Guys, if we don't have God speaking, we would not even know how to apply the word of God. (laughs) 
we're not just cold robots just taking these principles and just just like walking out no no we're walking in intimate communication with the Lord and direct communication with the Lord so number one you can hear number two God is still speaking he's still speaking he speaks every day how many of you ever heard the voice of God Come on, it looks different. There's dreams, there's visions, there's the slight impressions, there's taking this word and bringing it to life and teaching us and illuminating what it really means. Some of the people have heard the audible voice. Now, there's places where we want to be healthy. We want to be a healthy prophetic community, right? So there's things that we can't even get into today where we want to discern, and this, this word becomes a, a, definitely a plumb line. But the idea that God is no longer speaking completely cuts out the heart of the new covenant, which is that you can hear God speaking by the Spirit now. He's written the word on your heart. At the, at the foundation, we are a prophetic community. That's not something strange. Every New Testament church should be a prophetic community. What I mean by that is we all hear God. That's, that's the heart of prophecy. This is where this thing can open up. At the heart of prophecy and the spiritual gifts and even this entire walk with God is we were made to hear his voice. We'll see from Genesis. So... Everything that we do is really we're living from a place of faith of hearing the voice of God. Amen? So we're going to just kind of demystify this thing of, you know, God speaking and even being a prophetic community. Uh, and then again, I just feel God's going to break some lies off of people's life. And, um, and this will, lead, I think, lead increase to actually seeing the spiritual gifts. Because words of knowledge, prophecy, all these things hinge on the belief that God can speak to you today. Amen? All right, so let's look at Deuteronomy um, chapter 5. And I'll... Uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. Okay. So here's how I want to preface this. You could, um, this particular passage is a very important passage. What's happening in Deuteronomy is that Moses is on the plains of Moab. It's part of the wilderness journey. And he's preparing the Israelites for the promised land. And what he's doing here, Deuteronomy is essentially a series of sermons that... Um, Moses gives in preparation, and, and really one of the central aspects is uh, do not forget all that God has done for you through the wilderness, right? And so what Moses is doing through these sermons is he's working through different um, experiences of the wilderness journey, reminding the Israelites of what God did. So the text that we're reading is when Moses is recalling a very significant scene. Some could even say it's the most important scene of the, of the wilderness journey. It's when the Israelites came to Mount Sinai, and God gave Ten Commandments. And what we see is that God was making covenant with Israel. And I want you to just hear this language, and then we're going to break this thing open, all right? So I'm in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 5. It says, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Verse 2. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. That's at Sinai. Not with our, verse 3, not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant. Notice the emphasis on covenant. But with us, who are all of us here alive today. Verse 4, the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. Here's why. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. All right, so let's just stop here. We're going to come into this. But the summary here is that, can you guys hear me all right? God is making covenant with Israel. And central to covenant is the voice of God. God wanted to speak to Israel. 
But Israel was filled with fear and said, Moses, you stand in the gap and hear God for us. You follow me? So Moses then goes through the Ten Commandments. He's going to give the Ten Commandments here. Come to verse 22. Just stay with me. We're going to unpack this in a moment. Verse 22, after he gives the Ten Commandments, Moses continues to speak and give commentary to what happened in Exodus 20 is actually what he's talking about. Verse 22, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Verse 23, and as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. Verse 26. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Do you hear the emphasis on the voice of God? Okay. Verse 27, here's what they said to Moses. You go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and do it. <laughs> all right. So here's what happens. Again, summary. God, this is such a significant moment in Israel's history. God comes to Israel at Mount Sinai and says, I want to make covenant with you. This is very significant. Remember, the whole goal of the Bible is new covenant. Here we see Old Covenant, but what we see is actually an intended desire in God's heart from the beginning. God says, I want to make covenant with you, and central to the covenant is that Israel would hear God directly. This is God's desire, that God would speak right to Israel. But Israel, full of fear, and as we'll see, hardened hearts reject the voice of God. They say, do not speak to us, but speak to someone else, in this case, Moses. In other words, what Israel asks is they ask for a mediator. They ask for a go-between. They ask for a buffering between them and God to say, we, we don't want to speak to God. Will someone else go before us to speak and listen to God for us? Israel, Israel, as a result, what they do is they actually demand mediated revelation when God wanted to give them immediate revelation. They demanded a mediator to go before them to draw near and hear from God when God was saying, I want you to draw near to me. So as a result, the Old Covenant, which is God's Word written on stone tablets, was given as a concession to the hardness of Israel's heart in refusing to listen to God. This is the exact same principle that is brought up in Matthew 19 regarding divorce, which this is a, a topic we're not getting into, but it's a principle I want to apply. The, the Pharisees come to try to trap Jesus and they say, tell me, is it lawful to divorce? And Jesus says, well, you know what's written. What God has joined together, let no man separate. They come back and say, well, why did Moses then give a certificate for divorce and allow for it? And Jesus' words were because of the hardness of man's heart. But it was not meant to be like this from the beginning. Why did God take the word and write it on stone tablets? Because of the hardness of man's heart to refuse to speak to him directly. But this was not always the desire of God. For this is why Ezekiel 36 says... God says, I will remove your heart of stone, hardness of heart, refusing to listen to me, and I will give you a heart of flesh with the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 3, it's Paul who says, I do not minister again by the old covenant, by the new. 
He says, you are my letters, not written with ink, but by the Spirit of God. Not on, the, not on stone tablets, but on the tablet of your heart. God's desire from the beginning, God's desire has always been to take his word and speak directly to man. But man, and fearful of the Lord, said, send someone else to hear from God for us. And as a result, we got stone tablets rather than the word written on the heart of man. It only delayed, though, for a season what God would ultimately do. But any time you deny that God speaks directly, immediately into the heart of man, which is the new covenant, we are reduced back to stone tablet ministry. Any time, even in the new covenant, if you take this holy word of God that prophesies to Jesus, but you say, Holy Spirit doesn't speak anymore, you know what we have again? Stone tablets again. We come against the very heart of what God had wanted to do. I love this word. It's holy. It's beautiful. But if we're not careful, this word will actually become a barrier rather than a bridge to hear the voice of God. I believe the same dilemma that Israel faced is facing the church again. And in many ways, sadly, we make the same choice that Israel makes. Throughout church history, here's the conflict or the, the, the conflicting tendencies. The church has always wanted to draw near to God, yet we always seek a mediator to go and hear for God for us. We've looked to popes, we've looked to saints, we've looked to priests, we've looked to Mary. Mary's called the mediatrix, literally means a woman mediator. But don't think that we don't do it today. We look to our pastors, we look to the evangelists, we look to the prophet, we look to YouTube clips, we look to all of these things. God, God says, I want to speak directly to you. But we place a go-between, we place, we, we place a mediator. When God is saying, I want to I I I put the word right in your heart, I want you to hear my voice speaking to you. The only mediator we have is Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is now one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. But he does not mediate like saints or even like a written document. He mediates by facilitating, first introducing and then facilitating us into direct personal communication with the Father. This is the mediation that Christ gives. Guys, everyone in this room, you were made to hear the voice of God. <laughs> this is good news. I'm not, listen, we honor gifts. Again, I want to be clear. We honor teachers and apostles, prophets, all of these roles that God has given to build up the church. And there's real order with this. But I'm not dependent on you, and you are not dependent on me to hear the voice of God. You are not dependent on professionals, I put that in quotations, who are the only ones who know how to interpret the scripture for you. That is actually how the scribes, I'll show you in a few minutes, that's how the scribes operated in Jesus' day, which is why they were so confronted by Jesus' ministry when he said, I only see what the Father, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only speak what I hear the Father speaking. This totally blew their mind because for them, they were the only ones who had the authority to interpret the scripture. All of us in this room are, no, are made to hear God. Yes? <laughs> you are made to hear the voice of God. And if you want the New Testament look on this, you can go to Hebrews 12, which we're not going right now. But I, I encourage you to write down verses 18 to 28 of Hebrews 12. For in it, the writer of Hebrews essentially gives his own take on what we just read. And what he says is basically this. He says, we do not come to Sinai anymore. And he describes everything we just read. It says how the people were begging not to hear another message from God. He says, instead, we come to Zion, to this heavenly city of Jerusalem with Jesus Christ as the new mediator, so on and so forth. But then it says a very important verse, verse 25. It says, see to it, you do not refuse the one who is speaking. 
New Covenant, same idea. It says, now make sure we do not repeat the same mistake that Israel made when God tried to speak to them by rejecting their voice and saying, speak to someone else for us. Even though we're in the New Covenant, it says, see to it that you do not refuse the one who is speaking to you. <laughs> I, I feel, I, man, I hope this will just liberate your heart. That all of us were here, all of us are made to know God's voice. To know in an internalized way. What I find, though, is that the human tendency is to always come back to systemized laws rather than walking in intimate communication with God. How many of you have ever heard the expression, um, it's not about religion, it's about relationship? That's a great expression. But oftentimes what I think it's meant by that is uh, actually by relationship, all standards are gone. Actually, relationship raises the standard. I would actually say it's not about religion, it's about relationship. The problem is we often prefer religion because religion is easy. Give me scriptures to memorize. Give me a Bible reading plan just to go through and knock it off and say, check, I'm done. But do not make me hear the voice of God. For the voice of God changes everything. That's why the Israelites said his glory and his power is found in his voice. It's, this is what I said before. This word is holy and glorious. But if you're not careful, it actually will shut you down from the voice of God. Jesus said in John 5, I'll read in a few minutes, to those steeped in the scriptures... To the religious leaders, they said, you've neither seen his form nor ever heard his voice. How can that be? They studied the scriptures, but God, God said to them, you've never heard God's voice. If we're not careful, guys, we, we can totally miss this. I don't know about you, but that's easier for me. It really is. Give me principles. Tell me just what to memorize, and then let me go on in my life, because that has no cost to my life. But the voice... The voice of God that when it spoke from nothing created everything. The voice that when it spoke into Lazarus' tomb said, Lazarus, come out and brain cells start popping. Blood starts flowing again in a person's body. That voice, it confronts insecurities, things out of alignment in our heart. That's why it's always easier to say, pastor or someone, or I'll say to my wife, hey, you here for God for me. <laughs> just, give, just give me the stone tablets and I'll just memorize, but I don't want to hear the voice. But we were made for that. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> so look at Jeremiah 31. Immediately regretting asking for the heat. It's just blowing right on me right now. No, no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> and I want to read, I'm going to read verse 33. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This is actually where we get language for the new covenant. So this is where, in the beginning, God is uh, saying, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. So again, you're not just going to have the word written on stone tablets. Now you're going to have the word written on your heart. Well, I'm going to show you this writing right here. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. You guys there? It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is new covenant, declares the Lord. Here's what I will do. He says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. This is central to new covenant now. The spirit of God taking God's voice and it's inside of you now. By his, by his spirit, God can speak to you now directly. 
and I will be their God and they will be my people. So there's knowledge of God that comes from this. Hmm. Let me keep reading. Verse 34, this is very important. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. <laughs> we'll come back into this, but this is where we get tripped up. When we say I'm dependent on someone to teach me to know God. No, 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 no. John 14, Jesus said, when I send the Holy Spirit, he will teach you all things. You have the Spirit of God to teach you now. The same word that's used there in John 14 is the word that's used here in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of this. It's the same exact word. The reason why we do not need or are not reliant on man to be the sole teachers is because we have God teaching us now by his Spirit to us. Let me read verse 34 again. It says, And no longer shall they each one teach his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Isn't this good news? <laughs> Everyone here can know God and hear his voice? <laughs> oh, man. Religion loves to make a, a pyramid of power where it's all concentrated at the top. And as the power moves down, there's, it's, like, it's like an entropy. It, it withers as it gets lower and lower to the, to the lay people of the church. That's what they would say. Come to us. We've heard from God. That's not the case. God wants to empower every single person here. He says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So at the heart of the new covenant is that God is going to write his word on your heart. Now I want to be clear. Holy Spirit can just like, yeah, regurgitate scriptures to us, but that's not the fullness. It's not like this robotic, just like bringing scripture memorization just like that. Holy Spirit will do that. But this is about the word becoming alive, real, internalized. He's guiding you, leading you of how to apply it. Not in this cold way, but in a deep, intimate relationship with Holy Spirit. It's the direct and immediate revelation of the power of the Holy Spirit into your heart where you are not just reliant on someone externally teaching you their traditions. That's Old Covenant. Paul says, I don't minister by the, the letter. I, I don't need someone just to expound on traditions. I have the Spirit of God illuminating with the Spirit of wisdom and revelation the very words that God has spoken here. The Spirit is actually a witness. It's a guide to the Scripture. That's how we approach it. That's how New Covenant Christianity approaches it. You have this Spirit, which then, as you come into the Word, will be a witness and a guide as to how to understand it. Without it, you don't even know how to apply the Word then. Think, think about this. This is an example I've heard that I come back to, but it's, some of you may have heard it's really helpful. Think about this. Paul, in Acts 16, he's with a company of saints, and the Holy Spirit, it says, forbids them to go into Asia. You guys ever read that? Holy Spirit forbids them to go into Asia. Then, Holy Spirit brings them a dream about going to Macedonia. So first of all, you've got all of this prophetic revelation from God. It's not inspired word, but God is leading them. But you know what's amazing is that the Great Commission, you know what it commissions us to do? To go into the nations and make disciples of all nations. So that means, though, if Paul were to just take the Great Commission and take it in a very dry, straightforward way and say we're commanded to go into the nations to make disciples, is Asia part of the nations? Yeah. yeah. Which means if he went into Asia, he would have been obeying the Great Commission but disobeying the Holy Spirit. Wow. This is why we need Holy Spirit. <laughs> this isn't just this cold, dead law. The Spirit of God is highlighting and illuminating and saying, okay, this is, you're going to do it here this way. You're going to do it here this way. Day by day, walking with Holy Spirit. <laughs> I just want to, Lord, what do you want to say to us? 
It's really good. I want to break the lies. Guys, I'll say it again. There's just some things. You can hear from God. You have the Spirit of God in you. Morning by morning. Isaiah. Morning by morning, he awakens me. He awakens my ear. To hear and to hear words as one who was taught. (laughs) What is he saying? Isaiah, you know we're called James 5.10 to emulate the prophets, it says? They they serve as instructions and examples. Well, Isaiah says, morning by morning, the Lord awakens me, and then he awakens my ear to hear. What are you talking about? He's talking about the active voice of God speaking to him. Every morning, every day, God wants to awaken you and then awaken your ears. Say, Andrew, I want you to go here. Andrew, you're going to meet Patty today. (laughs) You sure? Yeah, Patty's the name. Okay. So we're going to evangelize because if we see that in the word, we hold it. That's our plumb line. But then, Holy Spirit, we need, you to, we need your help to guide us in this. So I, want to, uh, I just want to break that open that through a few of the places that you were made to hear from God so that no one doubts that. And then I want to, uh, at the end, I want to just quickly um, note that, that verse 34, how we are not relying on someone now to teach us. I'll come back to that. All right. So first, I just want us to know that we were all created to hear from God. Yes? Um, if I were to read you the Deuteronomy passage, but from Exodus 20, what, what Paul was, um, I'm sorry, what Moses was referencing, in Exodus 20, what's really interesting is the chapter before in chapter 19 is a very uh, well-known passage where God is saying, I took you out of Egypt, and he says, this is why I've taken you out of Egypt. He says that you would obey my voice and that you will be a treasured possession among the nations. And then he says, and you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, in traditional Protestant theology, the fullness of being a holy nation is to live a good and moral life. Now, that's true. We are called to live a good and moral life. However, that's not the fullness of what it means when it says that we are called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, or a kingdom of priests who are called to hear the voice of God. What he, what's that's actually saying is that In the Old Testament, priests and prophets had a unique anointing. They were set apart. They were holy, consecrated. For what? With the unique role to hear God's voice for service. Their role, priests and prophets, was to hear God's voice and then to declare his will into the nations. And God's desire was never for it to be one tribe like the Levites. God says, I desire a holy nation. Even in the Old Testament, God reveals his longing that he would have a people who would be anointed and set apart by the Holy Spirit to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means when it says you're a holy nation. That you and I, anointed by the Spirit, set apart to hear God's active voice in order that we could declare his words into the world for healing, restoration, repentance, whatever it may be. That's how me and you are set apart. <laughs> so that's why 1 Peter 2.9, Peter would say that now in the new covenant through Jesus... We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, who God has called out of darkness, what? To declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. At the heart of our, of our DNA, you have a prophetic DNA. <laughs> Meaning, you, at the heart of who we are, you're made to hear God and then to declare the praises and the works of God to the nations. How is that possible? Because you're holy. You've been sprinkled with the oil of the Spirit in a unique service to hear God. This is, your, this is your DNA. This is my DNA. All throughout scriptures, all throughout scriptures, we see the, the call or God's desire for us to hear from him. But here's what happens a lot. In uh, um, certain theological camps, 
the expression that's often said as a trump card is I don't rely on experience, I rely on the facts of scripture. Okay? Here's the problem. The facts of scripture overwhelmingly testify that we should expect profound experiences in hearing the voice of God. So I'm okay with that. Let's rely on the facts of scripture. Let's be solo scriptura, but let's not put a filter on it to make it read what our biases already have in our heart. Let's actually be solo scriptura. Let's look at Isaiah, who was caught up in a heavenly vision when the God called him, or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel. This is actually the normal pattern. Angels speaking to people, this is what it should look like. So consider this. I, I won't even run through all these examples. Consider how everything started. Consider how everything started in Genesis and Adam. Genesis 1 is not some nice introduction uh, until we get to the good stuff with people. <laughs> Genesis 1 literally lays out the central agenda for God for everything. How is everything formed? By his voice. Everything is created by the voice of God. This isn't just, oh, this is a nice intro. What God is showing us, this is how everything is created and sustained. What is part of God's creation? Us. How are we created? By the voice of God. You are created and sustained by the voice of God. This is how you were made. Which is why when Satan comes in Genesis 3, what does he say? Did God really say? This is the battle that's been waging. He's attacking the very lifeline between God and man. We know we're made in his image, but how are we to engage and relate to God? You have to hear his voice day by day. Man does not live by bread alone. For where Adam fails, Jesus will be successful in the temptation. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is how you were created to live. Satan says, I'm going to tempt you to live to another voice. Whether it's your own or his voice or traditions, God says, I want you to live by my voice. <laughs> and then made by the voice of God and sustained and created and by his word, then Adam made in the image. What does he do? Adam is naming things. What is he doing? That's, that's prophecy. He's proclaiming the wonderful works that God has made. <laughs> it's all a picture of how God has made us. <laughs> Think about Abraham. Outside of Jesus Christ, the scriptures, New Testament scriptures, I think make a case that there's not a greater role model outside of Jesus than Abraham. Galatians, Romans, Hebrews gives long amount of text to the life of Abraham. Again, we are called to emulate him. He did something for us. That is a pattern. The problem is we place filters on how we want people uh, on the pattern that they set for us. But you know what the summary statement of Abraham's life is? That he heard. He heard the voice of God. He believed. He obeyed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The heart of Abraham is that he heard God's voice. You, that means you were made to hear God's voice, and that when he heard it, he obeyed it, and God said that was righteousness. Not fake righteousness. God wasn't cooking the books, <laughs> saying, I know it looks like that, but it's Old Testament. No, this is real righteousness. You hear God's voice, and you obey it. So Abraham shows us an example that every one of us was made to hear the voice of God. Not, he operated in, new, in a new covenant mode. He wasn't scurrying off. Again, I want to be careful. But he wasn't scurrying off to look upon text. He was hearing God's voice. Literally, God is speaking to Abraham. You read through the story. He goes to a next scene. God gives him another promise. I'm going to do this. He goes to another place. God gives him another promise. And Abraham was living by the voice of God. That is the ultimate pattern that he sets for us. So much so that Genesis 26, when it summarizes his life, says that he was so blessed and received this inheritance because he obeyed the voice of God, which means God speaks. Yes? 
All right, let's look at, uh, I want to read it again in Jeremiah. I want to see the second part. Jeremiah 31, verse 34. You guys following me? Verse 34. I'm, again, I'm still in Jeremiah 31. It says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. So there's a connection between hearing God's voice and knowledge. So we were created to know God. Again, how is that? Adam shows us especially. You know God by his voice. So in 1 Samuel 3, 7, when Samuel, uh, God started to speak to Samuel as a young boy, and he thought it was uh, uh, Eli, the, the priest, what it says is, in verse 7 it says, And Samuel did not yet know the Lord, for he had yet to hear the word of the Lord. He wasn't talking about written. He's talking about he yet to hear the voice of God. But once he heard the voice of God, it produced a knowledge in the heart of Samuel. So, we, so it's God speaking directly to us that's actually producing a very intimate knowledge. So much so that it says you will not need a teacher. Because again, the Jewish system, and we'll see, this is what Jesus came into, was predicated on only a select few, the scribes and the rabbis, the professionals of the day. They were the only ones who knew who had the authority to interpret the scripture. That was the sole vehicle now of how God would communicate to mankind. You had to go through the professionals. This is counter to new covenant language. <laughs> the spirit of religion always wants to set a distance between God by interposing substitutes. You can't just go right to God. You need to go through me. <laughs> and then you can hear God. Guys, that's not the case. God can speak right to you. Do you remember I shared a story a few weeks ago in Numbers 11 where the Spirit of God fell on 70 elders that Moses was anointing to help him? Do you guys remember that? Eldad and Medad were two, two of these elders who were left back at the camp. They didn't go to the tent of meeting for this ordination service. And when the Spirit of God fell, it actually fell on these two men as well. But they weren't with Moses and the 70. And they began to go through the camp and prophesy because the, spirit, the prophetic Spirit was on them. And it says a young man who heard this ran to Moses and Joshua and said, here's what's happening. And Joshua said, Moses, my Lord, make them stop. <laughs> make them stop. Of which Moses will say, I wish that all would prophesy. Now, I shared this before, but I want to I sharpen this point for a moment. Because this is really important. What, what, what Joshua saw is he saw the prophetic spirit that rested on Eldad and Medad. He saw that as a threat to Moses that God sharing this spirit with others to hear from God and speak from this place of hearing was a threat to Moses. You know why? Because Moses was the lawgiver. So to Joshua, he's thinking, Moses, you are given the sole role of being lawgiver. You are the only one who can hear from God. By the spirit of God moving in their lives, that's a threat to you. And what Moses says is, no, 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 you don't understand. The prophetic spirit resting on a people has never been about accrediting a few. It's always meant to be empowerment for service for all. So in cessationism today, they do the same thing. They say instead of Moses, it's the apostles. The apostles were the lawgiver. Therefore, only the, the apostles could hear from God like this. But the rest of us can no longer hear from God that way. But it's just not the case. We can't write scripture, I understand that, but you can hear from God. You hear the voice of the Lord. All right, I want to share two other texts real quick. Deuteronomy 30.
And we'll finish out with this in Numbers 5. Uh, I'm sorry, um, John 5. Deuteronomy 30, though. This idea that only a select few can hear from God, the irony of it is that what's said often today now in certain camps is God's no longer speaking, but again, you need certain individuals to hear from you. And interesting, who do you think created that doctrine? <laughs> Perhaps the ones who somehow have been graced to be the ones that know what God really wants to say. <laughs> so I want to, uh, man, I, I was wrestling with this because I, I don't want this to go over anyone's head. Oh, or fall on the floor. And that's not, that's not because... Uh, this is profoundly deep, but certain conversations I, I recognize that sometimes it's hard to flesh them out in a setting like this. It's good to have Q&A and whatnot, but I got to share this because this really, I think, paints a picture of what goes on today in many ways and how Jesus and the new covenant so wars against what often is presented. And so Deuteronomy 30, and I'm going to read uh, verse 11 to, uh, let's see, I'll stop at verse 14. Now, there's one phrase I really want to highlight. And it really gives context to the mindset of the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day. But you've got to see where that mindset comes from, and it's from this text. So here's what it says, Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. And then verse 12 says, it is not in heaven. You guys hear that? It is not in heaven. That you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us? Bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Verse 13, neither is it beyond the sea, that you should say, who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart that you can do it. Now here's, there's so much to say. I want, this is, guys, this is, I think, fascinating. <laughs> I really do. It's a little heavy teaching, but just stay with me. There's an expression here that says, it is not in heaven. And what happened was, is that the scribes and the Pharisees, there was a tradition built. Remember Jesus said, your traditions nullify the word of God. This is part of it right here. There was a tradition built off this text that says, it is not in heaven, the commandments of God. Meaning, you don't need to go far off, go there, it's right here. The way that they interpret that though, you know Paul quotes this in Romans 10. He gives it the right meaning. So you can go and read that in Romans 10. But the way that they interpreted this is they came up with a phrase, which was, the Torah is not in heaven. This is a staple teaching within Judaism, especially within rabbinic circles. They say the Torah is not in heaven. In other words, the belief was that once God gave the written Torah, they no longer had any need for God to intervene to help them interpret the Torah. It is not in heaven, they would say, meaning the interpretation, the revelation is not in heaven. It doesn't matter if it's miracles, a prophet appears. They even say in the Talmud, this is so important, the Talmud is a Jewish commentary over the centuries from the rabbis. It's very, very important. In the Talmud, it actually says, even if there's miracles, a prophetic voice, or even God's own words, we will not consider it. For the sole interpretation of the Torah has been now left to the rabbis. Nothing else can come in. This, is, this was the whole thought process. So again, traditional interpretation was left for the professionals. So ready for, I think this is really interesting. You can read this. I encourage you so you know this is truth. You can read in the Talmud. There is a really strange story. You're like, this guy's not even speaking English anymore. Talmud. It's called the Oven of Achni. It was an actual story that was written right around probably John's Gospel, which is interesting because I'm going to show you Jesus and what he says in John's Gospel which confronts this teaching. This teaching, the oven of Acne, 
was given as a story to expound on the doctrine, it is not in heaven. Meaning heaven is closed now that we have the written Torah. We do not need God to speak to us anymore. Does this sound familiar at all? I want you to connect the dots. Does that sound familiar at all? Now that we have the written word, we do not need God to speak to us anymore. Cessationism is no more than the rabbinic Judaism doctrine of it is in heaven. It is not in heaven. They are soulmates. I would say those theologians are soulmates with the scribes of Jesus' day. For they deny direct immediate revelation to the heart of man. They say, we don't need God anymore. We don't need God to speak. It is, everything's right here in the written. Now, everything is finished here, but we need the Spirit of God. So the oven of Acne said this. It was a real story. This guy created this, this oven. It's bizarre, I know, but you can read it. <laughs> and the whole idea was that it wasn't kosher. So there was a rabbi by the name of uh, Eliezer, and he actually, there was a dispute over how the law was interpreted. Well, he was of the minority camp. He may have been by, by himself, and he said, he said it should go one way. And the, the Talmud actually says Eleazar was true. But the problem was is that the majority of the other rabbis said it is not true. And here's what, this is really bizarre. I don't know how this worked out, but it says that to prove this, that he was true, God worked miracles through uh, Eleazar's life. He made a uh, tree get uprooted. This is written in the Talmud, I promise you. Go read it. And he, and he made it move 100, some say 400 cubits. He made a stream flow reverse backwards. And then finally it says, a heavenly voice began to appear and speak to the other rabbis saying, Eleazar is correct. And you know what they said? No. They denied all those things and they said, because of the majority of the rabbis who have the sole responsibility of interpreting this, we decided this, this is the interpretation that we will go with. Do you understand why when Jesus steps on the stage at the time of John's gospel especially, this is why there was such resistance to him? Because he says, I only do what I see my father doing. I only speak what I hear the father speaking. For them, they had no place for this. Yes? <laughs> so finish out here, John 5. I want to show you this text. And I'm going to read John 5. Uh, let's see, verse, we'll abbreviate it, verse 36. So remember that whole doctrine, it is not in heaven, probably took root around John's gospel. You get to see now Jesus, I believe directly that Jesus is, direct, uh, is, is responding and correcting this mindset that scripture alone, without the revelation of the, of the spirit of God, God revealing, this is not the way God intended it. So look at verse 36. We'll close here. It says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Number one, what did they say in that doctrine is not in heaven? They said, we won't even believe miracles if we see them. Jesus was performing miracles, and they were saying, uh-uh, sorry, we're not believing it. This is why. Jesus is greater than the prophet Moses. They'll deny Jesus himself because they said there's no prophetic influence anymore. So that's number two. Look at verse 37. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. Wait, that's interesting. The Father's not silent in revealing things. The Father is very much a part of the revelation process. But they would say that's not anymore. We don't need the Father to reveal anymore. And then Jesus says this, His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen. Isn't that really scary? That the ones who said they had the sole authority to interpret the Scriptures didn't even recognize the voice of God? Is that scary? <laughs> 
the ones that say only we truly understand the scriptures, but then Jesus would come around and say, but you don't even know the voice of God. And then verse 38 says, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. And then here's where Jesus really confronts this, it is not in heaven doctrine. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it, is, and it is they that bear the witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me. So he's saying, look, you've cut off God's intervention. God is trying to reveal himself by works, by me as a greater prophet. God himself, the Father, is speaking, yet you cut that off because you think you're the sole ones who can interpret the scriptures. And as a result, you're supposed to be authorities. You don't even know the voice of God. And you're teaching others this. You're teaching others that they can't hear from God. And then to really just, I feel like, put the dagger in, Verse uh, 41, Jesus really hits what is the motivation of this system that is uh, restricted to a few professionals. Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people, meaning you do. And he says, verse 42, but I know that you have not come, that you do not have the love of God within you. So Jesus says this, he says, you know why this whole system is even created where no one can come, where no one can hear from God except for you? He says, it's not for communicating God's love to people, but it's for the glory and praise of man. That's what he's actually confronting. He says, you boast, this is what he, this is what, you boast in your piety, you boast in your knowledge of the scriptures, yet you do not even know God's voice. In fact, the rabbis of the day, the scribes of the day, they used to have these intellectual debates, and they used to give this phrase of besting one another. And the whole thing was about besting one another in terms of interpretation and application of the scriptures. This is the very thing that Paul confronts in 1 Corinthians 3, where he says, I do not minister like the Greeks do, who boast in knowledge. And yet this is the very way that these guys are ministering. The whole, the whole, the whole scheme of this is so that a few can boast and rejoice and receive the praise of man over the knowledge that they have over the scriptures. No, my friends, <laughs> this is not the way that Jesus ministers, not the way that Paul ministers, and every single person here can hear from the Lord, yes? I want to call the worship team up, please. Come on, why don't we stand together? I know we've been sitting for a little bit. If you can, if you can't, that's okay. Yeah, worship team, I don't know what you had planned, if anything, but if there's something along the lines of what we've been sharing, I really felt led. I know we don't always have it. I felt led to have the worship team really worship, and I feel like declare things in their songs over uh, what we've been to, uh, speaking about. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. I just invite you, not because God works anymore, but sometimes we can get distracted when uh, we're looking around. I just want to invite you for a moment uh, to close your eyes. And I want to just, as the Lord leads, just declare and pray some things over us, and then we'll worship and have anyone who would like prayer to come up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
thank you that you're speaking, God. That when the prophets of Baal cried out for their idols to respond, it says they cried out and there was no answer. But Jesus, you speak. And I thank you for your voice that created us and it sustains us. And I thank you that every person in this room was created to hear your voice. So I ask right now that cloudiness and walls, every barrier, spiritual blindness would be broken off of every person, Lord, that feels like they cannot hear you, Lord. I ask this morning, God, that where there's been a desire to rely on someone or something else to draw near into the Holy of Holies to hear for them, I pray they would hear the voice of their Father saying, I want you to come near. I want you to come near. God, I thank you that your voice, we live by your voice. It's not a matter of a good day or bad day, but you said it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. Lord, we need your voice, God. So I'm asking for grace. I'm asking for grace upon your people, Lord. Ears to be open. That God, that for the first time maybe in a long time, they would sense you, Holy Spirit, impressing upon things in their heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're asking blinders to go this morning, Lord. Deaf ears to be open, God. In Jesus' name. Lord, that we would live by your voice, like Abraham, God. Day by day as we walk, we live by your voice, God. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you for your written word. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you teach us how to walk it out. You teach us how to apply it. God, I pray that every distance that has been put up for whatever reason, I pray it's breaking, God. I pray it's narrowing right now in Jesus' name. We pray, God, anything that religion has put in the way, God, that would distance us from you. God, we ask right now that it's narrowed and it's broken in Jesus' name. I, and I can't understand the word. It doesn't make sense to me. You have the Holy Spirit who will teach you. Lord, we ask right now for every excuse to be laid bare. Every excuse, God, to be exposed, Lord. In love, in love, would you come and just deal with every reason, God, that we've set that we can't hear from you, Lord. They're too busy, God. Too many things, Lord. I thank you, God, that when your voice is restored to your people, God, it's the same voice that causes life to explode in death, that brings clarity where there's confusion, Lord. I thank you for the simplicity of your voice, God, bringing direction here this morning. 